following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. The series title, God Has Spoken by His Son. And so we'll begin by looking today at the... Actually, the first verse and a half is all we're going to get done. But we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 4. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. And let's read. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Um, I can read Greek a little bit, uh, but not enough to really appreciate uh, the beauty of this passage in Greek. And in English, uh, some of that gets lost. Uh, But it's probably one of the most eloquently written and uh, profound verses in all of the New Testament. And the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who he is, but whoever he was, he was uh, an intellectual and literary genius. And he writes with uh, really greater eloquence than than probably any other um, New Testament writer. And certainly this passage is, every word is just just perfection in the way it's arranged together. And some of that can be seen in the English. Uh, A lot of it's lost because we don't all speak Greek. Um, But because there's so much here, we're going to actually take three weeks to look through it. Um, And so, like I said, we're just going to look at the first verse and a half. So let's uh, let's pray as we begin. Father, we just thank you so much for your word uh, that you speak to us and that there's written record of of how you have communicated your truth to the saints of old. And we we hold in our hands this very letter from you. Lord, we, we pray that you would speak to us now through your words and scripture by your spirit. Uh, Lord, may it come alive, and may you encourage us, um, may you convict us, may you teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We live in a world where we are drowning, literally, well, not literally, figuratively, we're drowning in a flood of information. Uh, It's it's fun, I, I love that, you know, you can Google just virtually anything, like just pick anything, and you just talk to your phone and say, tell me about blah, and boom, you've got... You know, pages and pages and pages of information. But it's interesting that in the midst of this huge flood of information, we're also growing increasingly skeptical of everything we hear, right? And the reason is that um, because of all this information, and because it comes at us so rapidly, uh, one day we hear one thing, and the next day, you know, we, we read something that contradicts what we just heard yesterday, right? So, you know, one day they tell you, you know, coconut oil is the savior of the world. Drink coconut milk raw by the gallon and you'll live forever. 
And the next day they say, no, coconut oil will kill you. Don't drink coconut oil. It's bad for you. And then the next day, yet again, somebody says, well, they only said that because they have a financial interest in corn. Producing corn oil, right? So there's wars back and forth by these experts. And uh, we find out, it turns out, that all these experts have a financial interest in what they're researching. Right? So, of course, they find uh, evidence and conclusions that support what they get paid to find. So we become skeptical of the, the experts, right, in the research. And now I get to where, you know, somebody tells me to eat something and I just I don't even pay attention. I'm sticking with pure white sugar in large quantities. Forget the rest of it. Right? If I'm going to die, I'm going to die having fun. Right? So, so um, and even things like news is, is no longer uh, reliable. There's fake news, there's false news. We see now that journalists... Uh, have no integrity, and that they are influenced by their own political agenda. And so we can't trust the news. We can't trust uh, research. We can't trust the experts. And even, even science itself, which was one time viewed as really kind of an anchor of certainty, is standing on a very crumbling foundation. As uh, more and more scientists are coming out and saying, look, we don't really know much. And, and the things that we were so certain about now are in question and more and more scientists disagree about, about almost everything. Right? So, um, so what's created is, is, is the result of all this is that we live in a time and an age in which um, people do not feel that, they, that, that truth can be verified by any kind of external outside source. That was, I can't go to, uh, you know, back, I'm old, and back when I was a kid we had this, this set of books that all had the same cover. It's called an encyclopedia. And some of you younger people, you can look that, you can Google that. What is an encyclopedia? And uh, we had these, we had these like 26 volumes, and I could go to that, and I could, I could, I could verify things, right? I could, I could know things. It was an outside source that seems absolutely uncertain, uh, but people don't feel that truth can be verified by an outside source anymore. Because where would you go, right? All the things that we turn to seem to be unreliable. Uh, so instead, uh, in the modern world, people are looking inwardly into themselves to verify what's true or what's not true. Um, and it's based largely on our feelings or our opinions. We, we, we do get to decide what's true, at least what we consider truth. That's always, always been the way it is. But now, the basis for our deciding is really just our own feelings and opinions about things. Um, if we... If, if coconut oil sounds appealing to us, we, we buy into the coconut oil thing. If we uh, got hit on the head by a coconut one day and decide we hate coconuts, well, I'm not going with coconut oil. They're evil. They're destructive. Um, and the problem with this is that as we get to decide what's true, and we, we, we base this internally on our own feelings and opinions, truth is no longer something unchanging and certain. Right? Truth is very much relative. It's flux and it flows as each person decides for himself. So people, you'll hear people say this. Well, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. In other words, we can both have our own version of truth, and it doesn't really matter. It's relative. It changes. It's up to each person to decide. Um, and the way this works out practically in everyday life, and we do this, and the, the world does this now on a daily basis, 
is uh, we choose the things we like and convince ourselves that they must be true because we like it or feel good about it. But that's, that's now kind of become the anchor or the basis for deciding what's true and what's false. Um, if I feel good about it, it must be true. And we see this uh, sweeping through culture and society at, at, at just an alarming and staggering rate. Uh, a, a recent example of this is the rapid cultural shift regarding sexual orientation and gender identity. And to me, this is just mind-boggling. Uh, and this is how it works. Um, being male or female, being a boy or girl, used to be a very basic matter of biology, right? Chromosomes and body parts, plumbing, right? And you could look at somebody's chromosomes that they had, you know, like XX and Y or Y and X or XY and Z or something, I don't know. But you could tell. I'm actually not very good with biology, as you can tell. <laughs> you, could, you could say, yeah, that's, that's boy chromosomes and that's girl chromosomes. And consequently, if you weren't that smart like me, you can just look at certain body parts and it's obvious. There's plumbing that goes with being a boy and a girl, and it's objective. It's not based on my opinions. I don't feel like I have certain chromosomes. It's objective. It's standard. But since science and, and, uh, can no longer be trusted, and apparently chromosomes on plumbing could be wrong, <laughs> apparently, now your gender and sexual orientation are a matter of what you feel like or what you want to be. Right? I get to make this all up. Uh, it doesn't, it's, I'm not going to let something like body parts tell me what I am. I'm going to go based on what I feel. Right? So truth for me is no longer based on something objective like science. It's now based on what I feel about it. Right? Gender is something one chooses based on feelings, not on something objective like body parts. Uh, sadly, I, I uh, stumbled across a video on Facebook of one of our graduates from one of our local international schools, uh, a person I know well, uh, she is uh, from a Christian family of missionaries, right? Uh, and she does not know her gender, right? And she writes this uh, on this video. She says, uh, she's talking about pronouns now, because now you can't call somebody a he, she. It's got to be a zen or a zed or a zit or I don't know. There's new words now. I don't even know what they are to describe uh, things. And she says, you know, pronouns are incredibly important. He or she, right? Or they, it tells people how we want to be perceived, right? I want to be perceived as a, as a girl, even though I look like a boy. That's what she's saying, right? Some people feel very strongly about, about their gender, and it can be very ecstatic things. So like, for some people, your gender is very fixed. Like, I'm pretty much always a boy. <laughs> That's me, okay? Uh, but she says, some people, it's changing. I'm just changing. My gender is shifting and changing and flowing. It can be on a spectrum, right? So now apparently it's not just two options, a boy or girl. There's now a spectrum. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, right? What, what is the spectrum of boy-girlness? I, I don't know, but apparently there's a whole continuum of things in between. Um, it depends on the person. Right? And she's expressing, sadly, uh, what a lot of people in society think about. Right? Uh, and what a lot of you, you have high school kids or middle school kids, what a lot of them understand about who they are. Right? It's not about science. Science is not reliable as a source of truth. But I have to go inward and I have to decide what I feel about something. Um, let me ask you a question. 
what does it feel like to be male or female? I thought about it. I honestly don't know. Like, if it came up to me to say, Tim, you're going to be your gender based on your feeling, I kind of freak out. Because what is a boy supposed to feel like? I'm not sure, right? And that's where people are right now. They're, they're not sure because what does boyness or girlness feel like? And so they don't know because why? Because who they are gets defined by how they think about it, right? By their own feelings and opinions. Maybe one day I feel like being a boy would be better, but then the next day I find out that, you know, I don't get picked for certain teams or I don't qualify for certain things. So maybe I feel a shift. My opinion changes. Um, now, at one level, this sounds great, right? We get to create the truth we want to live with. Okay, I like this, right? I get to make up a truth and a reality that I like. And I get to be whatever it is, that I, I, and I get the, the world to be what I want it to be. But the reality is, this just doesn't work. Okay, it does not work. Uh, when truth is a matter of personal choice based on personal feelings, the result is confusion and chaos. And if you look around the world, you look at society, people are confused. Right? And it's creating all kinds of chaos. And I've read several stories recently of parents who have uh, felt that their boy should be a girl or their girl should be a boy, and they spent thousands of dollars to have their children subjected to sex changes, only to find these children growing up and turning 17, 18 years old and realizing that they feel like the original was better, right? And guess what? You just don't hit the, you know, the redo button like you do on your computer. Um, our, and the problem is that our feelings and our idea, and our, our feelings and our ideas are as subject to change as the research of the experts, right? So it's not. Uh, it can't be anything but chaotic and confusing if truth depends on how we feel about things. Uh, James, in the book of James, James warns us against being a person who is double-minded because he says that person is unstable in all his ways. And that's the world we live in. Young people in our world are so unstable because uh, they are being... Like, like a wave of the sea, they are being driven and tossed in one direction and, in, and then the other direction by the winds of popular opinion and ideas and their own feelings. Um, and you can see this not just in gender, but in so many, so many areas of, of, of modern society. So what is, what is the cure? Right? What is the cure for our society or what is the cure for us? What do we tell our children and how do we help them um, grab hold of something that is more stable and certain than just their own feelings and opinions and being pushed here and there by every wave of opinion. Um, you know, when people can't even figure out if they're male or female, we're so confused, right? How do we help people? And the problem is not that we need to sort out our feelings, and uh, certainly there's a place for counseling and there's a place for sorting out some of our fe confused feelings. But what we need is not, <clears throat> not to explore and discover our true identity. Uh, the problem is that we need an anchor for our life that is unchanging and is based on something other than our own opinions. Right? We need to get back and realize that the only way life can work is if there is some outside, tangible, objective, unchanging anchor uh, of truth, a source of 
truth that we can hold on to that will not shift. Uh, does such an anchor exist in this world? Uh, is there anything that does not change or that about which the opinions and the experts will not give us something new tomorrow? Well, thankfully, there is such an objective, unchanging, absolute truth in, in, in God right? and in his word. Uh, the good news is that God has given us, uh, and he is, an anchor that is unchanging. Uh, and Hebrews chapters 1 and 2, uh, and really the whole book, focuses on the hope of this anchor. Um, and ultimately, in, in, the, in, the, in, in verses 1 through 4 specifically, the anchor that is given to us is God's revelation. Okay, God has spoken to us truth. He's revealed to us truth. And that truth is unchanging. It's objective in that it's outside of us. And it is um, objective. There's three things. It's absolute. it's absolute. We'll see what all those things mean in a minute. Right? It's objective, absolute, and unchanging as God himself is. Uh, and we can know these things confidently. Not based on our opinions, but on who God is in himself. Um, So let's look at Hebrews 4, 1 and 2. Um, These verses really lay a a foundation for the whole book, but especially the first two chapters, which focus on Jesus as a supreme and glorious revelation of God. Um, Today we're going to look at the first verse and a half. Uh, What does it mean for God to reveal himself to us? How does God speak to us? And what does that mean for our life? Um, So verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Uh, First thing we we see here is that God is a God who speaks. God is a God who communicates himself to human beings. And he's done this since long ages past. He long ago speaks back to uh, really the whole entire Old Testament period from, uh, from Genesis up through Malachi uh, is captured in that long ago. Right? He's talking about the whole body of history up to uh, the end of the, of the Old Testament age. Uh, and he says that God, God spoke to our fathers. Uh, so here the context, he's speaking to the people of Israel. Uh, and, he, and God primarily spoke to, well, he, he spoke to the people of Israel in those times long ago through what? Through the Internet. <laughs> through Facebook. I don't know why God didn't invest, invent that all sooner. It would have just been much better. No, through the prophets. Right? Now, uh, we think of prophets, we think of people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But in, in, this, in his use of the word here, he's probably really thinking of everybody that, uh, that comprises all the authors and writers of the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi. Moses, Samuel, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, Daniel, all of them. Okay, everybody who's responsible for writing, uh, receiving God's message and writing it down in Scripture, in the form of sermons and in the form of written, uh, written messages. Um, it says that God spoke to them at various times and in a variety of ways. Right, so what that means is that God's revelation in the Old Testament was progressive. It came in bits and pieces and chunks. Right, so uh, they, they all got their little piece and it kind of added to the pieces that were before. And throughout the, the 2,000 years of, of history of the Old Testament, the revelation was, was growing and expanding. So God met regularly right off the bat with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? 
And um, one of the things that's significant about the garden is it says that God met with them every day. Right? He met with them. He communed with them. They fellowship. He spoke to them. Um, of course, they, they messed that up with sin and the whole rebellion thing got kicked out of the garden. Uh, but God still, nonetheless, still speaks to them. Uh, what's remarkable is we see God speaking to Cain. And he's warning Cain, there's sin crouching at your door. You're jealous of your brother Abel. Watch out. So God's speaking. He's warning him. And of course, uh, Cain does not heed the warning. And he goes out and he kills his brother. And even then, God speaks to Cain. He says, where, where is your brother? Right? What's, what's happened to your brother? Later, God spoke to Noah. Uh, and he commanded him, he, he told him his plans, that he was about to destroy the world. And he commanded Noah to go build an ark to save himself and his family and the creatures living on the earth. Um, after the flood, God again spoke to Noah, promising that he would never again destroy the world by a flood, as he did then. Uh, much later, uh, along comes Abraham. And God promises to uh, give Abraham a land of promise and to make him a great nation. And that ultimately, one day through the descendants of Abraham, the whole world would be blessed. And I love that we have the flags this morning. And it's a reminder that through Jesus, the nations were blessed, right? It's a promise that was, uh, that was begun, that was first spoken uh, to Abraham. Um, later, God spoke to Moses in the burning bush and called him to go uh, to, back to Egypt and to... to to lead the people out of slavery, to be their deliverer. And uh, on the mountain, God spoke to Moses and gave him the law and the blueprint for the tabernacle, instructions for worship. Uh, we go on and on about the prophets, all the prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, who warned the people of Israel that if they didn't stop sinning, God was going to destroy Jerusalem and the temple and send them into exile, which of course happened. And then God gave further promises that he would bring them back to the land after their time of exile. Um, so while the message of the Old Testament is progressive, and that is it, it came in bits and pieces little by little over time, um, his message to them was very clear and specific and singular. Right? God wasn't giving lots of different messages. He was giving one message to them. Uh, he, he did it in a variety of ways through visions and dreams, angels and theophanies and signs and miracles and wonders. Uh, but his speech uh, uh, was direct and clear. Right? He spoke to them. He spoke to them. The overwhelming majority of examples of God's speech in the Old Testament is what we call direct discourse. In other words, you read 394 times in the Old Testament, it says, The word of the Lord came and said, right? The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Okay? God speaks in words. Uh, this is an amazing thing, because God is infinite. He's transcendent. That means he's not, he's not part of this world, right? He's, he's out of this world, literally. He's beyond it. In many ways, God is incomprehensible to us. Uh, if God were to come down and really reveal to him everything he is, we would just disintegrate into nothing because he's so majestic and incomprehensible. Our brains could not begin to grasp who all that he is. Uh, and some people have argued, you know, how could God possibly put into words who he is? How could he really reveal himself in words? Words are way too inadequate to capture who God is. 
But the reality is that God is uh, pretty creative. <laughs> He's pretty smart. He created us with brains. He created language for a purpose. And his purpose was so that he could communicate himself to us in words. And he's done that. Uh, the entire Old Testament is the word of God. It's his message, his spoken message to us uh, or to the people of Israel directly from God through the prophets. And as I said, its message was singular, always moving towards a specific future. Right? So it wasn't just random philosophical stuff. Like you read some of the other religious texts, like these kind of weird, just philosophical, weird stuff. No, it's focused. It's on a purpose. There was a future, a kingdom, a future king and a final salvation. And that whole message is pointing in this direction all through its bits and pieces through uh, 2,000 years of revelation. And the message was unchanging. Right? God didn't, and granted, things came along like the whole flood. I'm going to wipe everybody out. Right? I repented that I made them. But even in that, there is redemption. There is saving. There is a future. Right? And it's going in a direction. Um, but what we see in, 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 he, in Hebrews 1 is, is that of all the prophets, none of them got the whole thing. Right? They all had bits and pieces of it. And even though the message was unchanging and it was continually unfolding in its detail and scope, none of them could see the full picture. So even when you get to Malachi at the end of the Old Testament, none of them had the full and complete message. There were gaps and holes and missing pieces. Um, and, and in short, you could say that no one ever got to the end of the story. Like if you read through the Old Testament and you got to the end, you would go, okay, well then what happens next? Right? Because it's unfinished. Um, there was always the rest of the story ahead of them. And of course, at the end of Malachi, there's a 400-year gap when God does not speak. Right? When they are all saying, for, and imagine, okay, you think you've had to wait long for you know, the next sequel to come out on your favorite series, and you've had to wait eight whole weeks. Oh my goodness, right? Um, imagine waiting 400 years for the rest of the story. And probably in the day of of Jesus, of, of the apostles, they were beginning to wonder, were we ever going to get the rest of the story? But now we come to, uh, we, we come to the present time, not in our present time, but the writer of Hebrews, where he jumps forward to his time and he continues and he says, in the ages past God spoke to his people through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. And after 400 years of silence, God breaks the silence and he breaks it in a huge way. He doesn't speak anymore through the prophets. It says he has spoken to us by his son. Um, we could probably preach a whole series of sermons for the next year on that phrase alone and never exhaust what all that means. Um, we're actually going to just take three weeks and look at what that means. But um, let me just wrap up for what it means for us today just a little bit. Right? We're going to just look at it quickly. First of all, um, who's the us? He says, but in the last days, he's spoken to us. Is it the apostles? Is it just him? Who is it? Well, it's, it's, the us is all of those people living in the last days who listen. Right? So what does this mean, the last days? Um, 
we might use this phrase to speak of recent times, only these last days, meaning, you know, since Christmas. Um, but, but that's not what the, the phrase means here. It's a technical term that means the end times. Right? In other words, in these, in these, these the last days, the end times, uh, in other words, the, the end times that the Old Testament prophets looked forward to. Right? So, he's, so he's saying that now, with the coming of Jesus, we have entered into the last days, the end times. Right? So in, in all of the people living in this period, that's us, right, who are willing to pay attention and listen, God has spoken to us. So what, what the us means in this passage here is you and me, right? All those, our, our, our children, our grandchildren, our Thai neighbors and friends, people all around the world, uh, from the coming of Jesus till now and until he returns again, God is speaking to us. Um, and this time his word has not come through prophets who have then passed on God's word, you know, who heard a message and passed it on like they did in the Old Testament. Instead, it has come to us spoken by his son. Um, in other words, God took his message, his word, and he wrapped it up in a person, right? the person of Jesus, the word incarnate. Uh, looking back to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God uh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And speaking of Jesus. The message in human flesh. The Word of God came to life in Jesus, His eternal Son. Um, three, three things that, to think about um, what this means. That, that God spoke in His Son. And again, uh, there's so much to say here. And we have ten more minutes, so I can't say much. But here it is. A few things to think about. First of all... Um, in the Greek, it's literally, he speaks to us in a son. It doesn't mean that, like, God has lots of sons. Uh, the idea is that it, he speaks in one who is, by his very character and nature, a son. Okay, so instead of a prophetic revelation kind of revelation, it's a son kind of revelation. Son expresses intimacy, oneness, and solidarity of relationship with the Father. Right, so Jesus is a son of the eternal father. He has a nature that's shared with God. Right? He, he, is, the, he is God incarnate. He's God. So uh, there's a connection with the father that makes him able to communicate who God is in a very real and direct way. <clears throat> but sonship also emphasizes the humanity of Christ and his solidarity and oneness with his brothers, uh, those in humanity that he shares with. Right? So sonship captures both sides of his incarnation. Fully God, fully man. Uh, Jesus, as, as the Son, as God incarnate, fully God, fully man, Jesus is uniquely <coughs> qualified to be the one through whom God spoke his final word. Uh, in other words, God brings his message to life in a real person who's both God and man. Right? He's a living message. Secondly, unlike the prophets who gave the message in bits and pieces, uh, who spoke promises and pointed to a future and coming reality, Jesus is the complete and final message. Uh, now, of course, he's not final in that you know, people say, well, yeah, but isn't there more? There is more. Jesus is coming back. But, but the message is complete. Right? There's, there's going to be no further revelation 
that's going to be shed, right? There's going to be, sadly, no Joseph Smiths are going to come along and say, oh, by the way, you know, there's a book after Revelation. All right? He's the final revelation. There is no more information for us to get. It's complete in the person of Jesus. Um, there is no rest of the story because Jesus is the rest of the story. In fact, he's what everything in the Old Testament pointed to. Uh, they promised something. He is the full and complete fulfillment of everything that was promised. Right? So everything that was pointed to in the, in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the person, in the life, in the work, in, this, in the message of Jesus. Um, so he's fulfillment. He's, he's the complete and, 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 and final message. Uh, thirdly, uh, he is the, the definitive revelation of God. Uh, and as such, he, dis- he demonstrates how God is speaking and revealing himself through the Son as in, in three ways. Okay, hang with me on this one. Okay, Jesus is revealing God in three ways. First, as proclamation. In other words, Jesus spoke words from God. He taught sermons. He gives us instructions. Right? That is Jesus speaking the proclamation of God. In propositional truth, objective and clearly communicated words. Right? Uh, if you can read, you can know what Jesus is saying to you through, you know, from God. If you can't read but you can listen, somebody else can read it to you. Right? It's words that are clear. Secondly, Jesus reveals God as God spoke as God's word incarnate as person. Right? He 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 reveals the very being of God, communicating his very self to us in a way that's relational. Right? And thirdly, uh, Jesus uh, reveals God as, as the incarnate word as an event, what God does for us. Okay, so in other words, Jesus is something God speaks, Jesus is something God is, and Jesus is something God does. I'm sure I've just lost everybody. They're like, okay, where are we going? Where are we going? Okay. Let me illustrate it this way. Okay. Um, uh, you, you know, we can read, and maybe you have read, a biography about a famous person you like. You pick somebody, biography that you've read. Uh, some of my favorites, I've read a great uh, biography on Abraham Lincoln. I also just recently read one on C.S. Lewis. We can read about their life. Okay, it's, it's written or spoken word. It reveals to you in word something about what that person is like, their character, their values, speeches they have made, or important things that they've said. Um, Jesus is, is something of a written biography of God. Right? He is he's the word. He, his messages, his sermons, his teaching speaks to us something of a biography of God's character, who he is and what he's like, what his plan is, and what our part of that plan is. Um, but you can also learn a great deal about a person by looking at what they accomplished, right? So not only can you read about them in a biography, but you can survey what they did. Um, uh, you may have read uh, a biography about somebody like C.S. Lewis, but you can learn a whole lot by, by, uh, by what he did. And, of course, part of what he did was write great literature, and he was certainly a profound thinker in his day. Um, but did you know that one of the things that he did that I think is very insightful into what, the, what he was really like as a person, did you know that C.S. Lewis personally answered every single letter that was ever sent to him? Right? People sent him letters from all over the world. 
And uh, they would send him, and he would get him in his mailbox. And, and he would daily, uh, and sometimes stay up till very late at night, actually, handwriting responses to, to people who wrote him letters. And it's too bad he's not select, because I think it would just be super cool to write, get a letter back from C.S. Lewis. How cool would that be? Um, on October 26, 1950, C.S. Lewis wrote the first of more than 100 letters he would send to a woman he never met from America. Um, and with whom he was to carry on mail correspondence for the rest of his life until he died in 1963, I think. Um, th those were published in a book called Letters to an American Lady. And you can read them, right? That tells you something about this guy, right? Here's this guy who was not just a famous author, but he took the time to have personal correspondence with people he didn't even know. Um, and he, he actually uh, discipled and had great ministry, and you read through this Letters to an American Lady, um, it's powerful how he ministers to this, this lady who he never knew. It tells you something about him by what he did. Well, likewise, all that Jesus did speaks volumes to us about who God is. Uh, the reality is we will never exhaust all there is to know about God through what Jesus did on the cross. Right? We, we, we should be thinking about the cross day by day by day. Because what Jesus did reveals infinite volumes of truth about who God is. Right? That he would send his son as a sacrifice for our sins to die a horrible, shameful death on a cross. What does that tell you about God's love for you? Right? Reveals something of who God is. But finally, suppose you had the chance to actually meet the person that you read about. Pretty tough with both C.S. Lewis and Abraham Lincoln because they're both pretty much thoroughly dead, right? Um, it would be hard to meet them unless, of course, we can meet them in heaven, right? Um, but, but the truth is that, that uh, through movies, act, actors have made them come alive. And I saw recently a great movie about Abraham Lincoln where the actor studied Abraham Lincoln's life and he really tried to personify Lincoln by bringing him to life, right? by putting uh, his, his character into a, motions and facial expressions and uh, something about the real living person. Uh, and it really brings who Abraham Lincoln to life, brings him to life in a way that reading his biography did not. And I was very moved by the movie. Um, Jesus brings God to life, right? Not as an actor who researches the person, but as a one who is in intimate relationship with the Father as a son. Right? So Jesus could bring God the Father and, and the, the, the triune God to life. Right? And so, so the, the writer of Hebrews, that's what, he, that's what he means when he says these words. Now in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. Right, both in spoken word and proclamation in what he did, but ultimately in his very being, he spoke revelation to us in Jesus, uh, who is both the messenger and the message. Right, he comes bringing the message, but ultimately Jesus is the message, uh, wrapped up in, in, him, in, in human flesh. Okay, there's tons more there, and we will look at it the next couple of weeks, how we can think about what it meant for Jesus to be this revelation in, in proclamation, in word, in, in being, in who he is, and in event, what he did. 
But let me come back to our opening thoughts, and let me just conclude, wrap this up with some application about um, if this is true, what, how do we, how does, should this impact our life? Right? And, and I don't have a lot of time to elaborate on this, so, um, but let me just give you five quick things that I believe this should, this should speak to us about, uh, it should impact us, right? Um, if the Son really does reveal God to us in plain, clear words that we can understand, words that spring to life in, in, in the life of Jesus, um, then there's truth there that is truth we can anchor our life to. Right? And that's where I want to leave this. Right? This is truth that's not shifting and changing. It's not based on our opinions or our feelings. It is truth that we can hold on to and give us certainty. Um, now, what I mean by that, I'm not, here, I'm not going to try this morning to prove that Jesus was a real person or that the words written about him in the Bible are reliable. That would be a discussion for a different day. Um, uh, there is lots of evidence, but ultimately it doesn't rest on, our, on the evidence. It rests on faith. We do have at some level to accept in faith that God's big enough to communicate words that we can understand and to make sure that they got recorded correctly and passed on accurately to us. Uh, but for those who have faith, the evidence is substantial. And we can be confident that Jesus was a real person. He truly was the incarnate Son of God. And that what is written about him, all that's written about him in Old and New Testament, is reliable. We can count on it as God's words to us. So, so here's, if that's all true, here's five things that should impact our life. First of all, uh, this revelation is truth which is objective, absolute, and unchanging. Right? What that means is, Unlike the truth that the world is dealing with today, this internal truth is subjective, means it's inside me, based on my feelings. It's outside of me. It's objective. It comes from God himself. And, uh, and God is, in his being, unchanging. And he is absolute. Right? So the good news is, uh, you know, today, corn oil, tomorrow, you know, coconut oil, the next day, motor oil. I don't know. Um, God is never going to change his word. Right? He's never going to come and say, oh, by the way, the whole Jesus thing, I, I was off on that one. Right? You also, in, in, in addition to Jesus' blood and his sacrifice, you also need to you know, climb up Dois Hutep a thousand times before I'll save you. Now, his word is unchanging. He, he knew from the beginning what he would speak, and it's unchanged through all of history. It's absolute. Because God can make it happen. Right? I can make you promises, but I can't really always keep them because I'm not in control of everything. Uh, I would like to promise that I'll finish preaching through the book of Hebrews. I don't know what's going to happen next week or next year, next month. Right? But God is absolute because he controls everything. When he says Jesus is going to return and judge the earth, you can count on it because God will make it happen. Because he's in control of everything. Um, so, so, so we have truth in the scripture, in God's word, in the Bible, that is objective, absolute, and unchanging. Right? Second thing, because that's all true, Christianity as a religion is exclusive. And what I mean by that is that we have, we have an exclusive claim on absolute truth. 
People say, well, why is Christianity better than other religions? Well, I'll tell you why. Because every other religion is based either on no revelation at all. So take Buddhism and to some extent Hinduism. They don't claim revelation. Buddha never said, God spoke to me. Right? What he said is this. He said, well, I sat under a tree until I was enlightened. And a light bulb came on and I um, discovered for myself what I think is truth. Right? He never claimed that it came from a divine source. His source was very subjective from inside himself. Right? He doesn't claim revelation at all, and, and to some extent neither does Hinduism. Uh, Islam, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, every other religion that claims revelation, claims that that revelation came through a prophet. Uh, Judaism right, came through prophets. Right? But none of them can say that they have revelation that came in a living person. Right? We got them on that one. Right? We beat them. We trumped them all. And people will say, well, how do you know that you know, this prophecy is better, which is true? Because he showed up live and in person right, as a living message uh, who died and consequently rose from the dead. Okay, that's all I need. Right? Nobody else did that. And so we have, uh, because God's absolute, because he's unchanging, because it's objective truth, it is exclusive. Right? There are not many paths to God. Right? There's one, and it's the path that he revealed through his word. And I'm sorry if it's offensive, but it's, it's the way it is. Right? Truth is that way. It's exclusive. Because if you're claiming it's absolute truth, you're saying other things are not. Okay? Just the way it is. Uh, thirdly, uh, it's authoritative. Okay, here's the deal. If God's really God, he really created the world, really created you and I, and he really tells us things that are absolute, unchanging from his eternal nature and being, uh, we, we don't get to vote on this, okay? We don't get to say, the same-sex marriage, okay, let's vote, right? Okay, majority rules. Hey, God, we've got news for you. You know, this whole boy-girl thing. You're off, God. We, we, we want to invent new truths for you. It just doesn't work that way, right? Um, his word is authoritative. There are moral absolutes. And we don't get to vote on them or pick them or have opinions about them. Okay? Now, if, if God's not real, if he did not really speak his word, if, if, if those things aren't true and we just made this all up, that's a different story. But if God has spoken his word and he said, this is truth and this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Right? There, there's an objective standard by which we can know good and evil and by which we will be judged. Right? Then therefore this truth is authoritative. You will answer for it. The world will answer for it. Right? Because God has spoken it. He's made it clear. Uh, fourthly, uh, it's relational. Okay, God, God reveals these words because he wants us to know him. Right? He doesn't want just to tell us what to do or judge us. That's not the end goal. The final goal is that God wants relationship with us. And he tells us these things because it's the path to know him, to be in relationship with him, to know what he is like and to understand his character and his being so that we can have the same kind of Intimate connection with him that the son has with the father. Lastly, it really is the foundation of our faith. Right? Our faith in the cross, in the 
work of Jesus to save us is not arbitrary, made up, subjective, come and go, right? It's, it's a bedrock solid foundation we can build our life on. We can know with certainty that God's salvation to us is real and we can believe it, right? We can know that through his sacrifice, all my sins are forgiven, right? So when I mess up, when I feel guilt and I know that I, I, I failed, I can know that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive my sins. And I can know forgiveness. I can know his love. I can know with certainty his faithfulness and that every one of his promises is true. That we have eternal life. That we have a hope and a future because his word and his promise does not fail. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.